My name is Charles Wilson, and I'm the chair of the DC Democratic Party. We are so excited today that our special guest is Congressman Jamie Rassels from the great state of Maryland. Congressman, how are you today? Terrific, Charles, and thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be with you. Well, thank you so much. We're, we're excited about today's conversation. So we, we start every podcast off asking our guests, how did you become a Democrat? Oh, man. Well, I, I assume I was born into it. Uh, I had a, a grandfather who was, a, uh, who was the first Jewish person ever elected to the Minnesota state legislature back in the 1930s and 40s. And so uh, he was a Democratic Farm Labor Party member. But mm-hmm. I guess there were some strong Democrats on my father's side of the family, too, in Wisconsin. But uh, both my, my mom and dad, I think, came from pretty strong Democratic stock. But for me, um, it's all captured in what Franklin Roosevelt said. Um, he, he called our party the democracy. And he would say mm-hmm. stuff like, well, the democracy says you invest in the common people and the wealth will filter its way up as opposed to the, the plutocrats or the royalists who say you've got to give the money to the people on top and then some of it will dribble down on everybody else. So um, I think that the Democratic Party is at the heart of American democracy. Awesome. Thank you so much. So is there anything that you're working on now that you're really passionate about, really excited about? Well, I think everything I'm working on, I'm really passionate about right now. I mean, we're we're defending democracy. We're defending the Constitution against um, an increasingly extremist right wing Republican Party, um, which is now trying to whitewash and cover up the uh, outrageous uh, violent insurrection against the union, uh, which Donald Trump incited on January 6th of this mm-hmm. year. Um, we're fighting for uh, strong gun safety laws that are perfectly consistent with the Second Amendment rights of the people. But these laws are necessary to make sure that guns don't get into the wrong hands and become a danger to the people. So I'm working on those. But I'm bringing the D.C. statehood bill to the floor this week as a member of the Rules Committee. I'm proud of that. I'm bringing uh, the No Ban Act to oppose uh, religious discrimination in the immigration process, like Donald Trump's Muslim ban that he had put in. Um, So I've got some excellent legislation I'm working on this week. Awesome. So before, you know we're going to get to D.C. statehood, but before we get to that, I want to touch on um, the gun safety laws that you're, you're hoping uh, to push forward. Why do, you, why do you think there's so much pushback from, from the Republican Party when we see these mass shootings happen almost every week? Now? Well, they say that the Constitution basically guarantees these mass shootings. There's nothing we can do about it. It's written into the Constitution. Uh, <clears throat> that, of course, is false. Um, there's nothing in the Second Amendment that guarantees we're going to have like the Tree of Life massacre or the Charleston AME Church massacre down in South Carolina or the Walmart massacre in El Paso um, or what we just saw out at the Federal Express facility. Um, you know, 95% of the American people support a universal violent criminal background check. People understand that 
So Americans can have access to guns for hunting or for self-defense without uh, saying that um, convicted criminals and fugitives and deranged individuals should have access to purchasing firearms. But that's what they're defending now. All we're trying to do with HR8 is close the, the private gun show loophole, close the internet gun purchase loophole, close uh, the private transfer loophole. And if we do that, then the Brady Law will really be universal and we'll be able to mm -hmm. crack down on people accessing guns who shouldn't have them. I mean, still, we're going to have the highest rates of gun violence on Earth. Right now, we're 25 times higher than the other rich countries in the world. But maybe we could get it down to like 10 times or eight mm -hmm. times or something like that just by reducing the ability of people to access guns who shouldn't have them. But already our guns have been so slipshod, so lax that there are hundreds of millions of guns. There are many more guns in America than there are people. So it's going to be a long walk home for us, but we've got to start somewhere. And let's start with the universal background check. Then let's go after the assault weapons. Nobody needs an assault weapon for self-defense. You don't need an assault weapon to go out and hunt unless you're hunting people. And that's what we're seeing mm -hmm. happening all over the country. All right, awesome. So um, you also mentioned that the statehood bill is coming up uh, this week. Um, we, you know, we've heard the arguments against D.C. statehood from the Republicans saying that we don't have a um, we don't have a bowling alley, and and or we don't have a car dealership, and those are all reasons why D.C. shouldn't be a state. Uh, what, what, I guess, what's your expectations uh, this week? Well, yeah, they, they keep changing the criteria. They keep changing the finish line. Uh, but I think Donald Trump gave the game away when he said, we're not going to allow two more Democrat senators. And that's essentially what the Republicans were saying at the markup session that we had last week. It's all political. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they, they don't, they look at Washington, they don't see 712,000 loyal taxpaying draftable American citizens um, being governed without their consent. They don't see taxation without representation. They don't see the political oppression in that. They don't see, you know, more than a half million Americans who can't even govern themselves locally without Congress trying to boss them around on everything from adoption to marriage to the use of Medicaid funds, you name it. Um, so... If it's just going to be political, and I don't deny that it's been political for a lot of American history, uh, most states mm -hmm. have entered the Union in pairs, like animals boarding Noah's Ark, right? That's what the Missouri Compromise was, Missouri and Maine. That's what the Kansas-Nebraska Act was, Kentucky and Vermont, Hawaii and Alaska. Okay, fine, it's a deal. Well, the Republicans have had Puerto Rican statehood in their platform since World War II. Every four years, mm -hmm. they say, we want statehood for the people of Puerto Rico. They didn't say it in 2020, but that's because they didn't have a platform in 2020. Their platform right. was Donald Trump, whatever he says. <laughs> but in any event, that, that is an historic commitment that they've made. Uh, the Democrats have obviously been passionate and avid for um, granting statehood to um, the people of the capital city making Washington, D.C., Washington, Douglas Commonwealth, 
uh, estate. So there are the seeds of a deal right there, the way that all these other unions have come in. Let's put D.C. and Puerto Rico together, assuming the Republicans are serious about Puerto Rican statehood. We know they've raised millions and millions of dollars over the years saying they're for statehood, but let's see them you know, walk up to the plate and do it for real. And this is the moment for it. I mean, even if they don't see the violation of the, the democratic rights of people in Washington taking place. So I remember when the bill came up in the House last time, there wasn't, I don't, I don't believe there was one Republican who supported no. that. Um, is, is there any hope that one brave Republican out there, I know there's at least one, uh, will step up and say this is the right thing to do for the American Well, they've cast it in totally partisan terms at this point, so I tend to doubt it. Uh, on the other hand, we, we did have 10 Republicans vote to impeach the president for inciting a violent insurrection against the union and seven Senate Republicans uh, vote to convict. Um, so mm -hmm. those people at least have shown uh, intellectual independence and some constitutional patriotism. I mean, that's all we're asking for. Um, grant other people their rights. You know, let, let democracy grow. Right. Tocqueville said in Democracy in America that in America, democracy is either always growing and expanding or it's contracting, it's shriveling away. And of course, uh, under the GOP and Donald Trump, democracy has been shrinking and shriveling away. And that's a party now that thrives on the filibuster and uh, the decrepit electoral college and the gerrymandering of congressional districts. And we say, let's overthrow all of the anti-democratic relics of the past. Let's make democracy grow again. And what better way to do that than to admit D.C. and Puerto Rico into the union? Great. So got a couple more questions and um, we're going to move on. But We'll, we'll, I'm pretty sure that we'll get this past the House. Uh, what's going to be the biggest hurdle getting it across the Senate finish? Well, it is this, um, you know, re reflexive political partisanship on the side of the Republican Party that they'll just say no, and then the filibuster becomes a major obstacle. Um, you know, there's never been a statehood admission filibuster before, I don't think, maybe the Missouri Compromise, but I don't think. Um, but, um, you know, I think that the Republicans are going to use whatever parliamentary lever they have to stop it, and they would use the filibuster, which mm -hmm. means the Democrats would need 60 votes to make it happen. I mean, first you need to get the 50 uh, within the Democratic caucus, then you need to get to 60 to overcome the filibuster. That's obviously a very tall order, to find 10 Republicans who would do that. Um, but maybe then DC statehood becomes the occasion for uh, overthrowing this uh, Jim Crow relic of the filibuster, you know, which was used so many times to try to stifle and to stop civil rights progress in the last century. Uh, it could be DC statehood, it could be the gun safety legislation, it could be the infrastructure bill. I don't know what is going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back, but mm -hmm. the Senate and the filibuster have become the principal obstacle to progress for our country. All right, so um, 
before we at the end of each podcast, we allow our guests to give our guests some uh, parting words. Is there anything that you want to leave our guests with today? Well, um, as a Marylander and a close friend of the people in Washington, D.C., uh, we are deeply invested in the uh, success of your statehood movement. I want to thank the D.C. Democratic Party for what you've done and what you've done um, individually, Charles, to make this happen. Um, but um, we need all hands on deck now. Um, we need everybody involved uh, in this struggle because um, the alternative to uh, a strong democracy is going to be right-wing authoritarianism, what we saw on January 6th. Um, we like to think that that's our past, but there are lots of people out there who want that to be our future. So we've got to, we've got to turn this around. And I want to thank the people of Washington, D.C. for not um, coming and uh, trashing the Congress, breaking our windows, killing people, um, and, um, you know, wrecking the place, um, even though you've got a righteous cause, unlike the people who did that to us on January 6th, who had no cause at all. But the people of Washington have stood by the nonviolent democratic process for moving forward. Um, so continue to pursue that with conviction and passion and resolve. Well, Congressman, thank you so much for your service uh, to the great state of Maryland and to your service to the country. Uh, we thank you for joining us today on the filibuster, and you are always welcome to come back uh, to drop a few more nuggets. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Charles, and all best to my friends in D.C.